this will not become endemic for approximately one year. What that means is there could be new surges. The rest of the world has not controlled the virus at all. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Bill and Fred, thank you, as always. Uh, would like to launch into um, what is the really the topic du jour with our audience, but more, even more broadly, the general public is whether, you know, we're now out of the woods. Um, various mayors are lifting their mask mandates as our governors. How should we be thinking about this? And, um, you know, is this in fact uh, good news? And are we finally at that point where we can say we are out of the woods? David, I don't like to quite say we're out of the woods, but because there's still this issue of could there be another variant? I mean, we don't think there's going to be another variant. Um, as long as there is not, then we probably are at least for the for the uh, spring and summer out of the out of the immediate woods. Um, I you know I've always been the, been the optimist in this, but I feel like at this point we've had so many um, surprises that have popped up that I I don't want to be overly optimistic, but I am feeling very good about things. I think this is we're not even the beginning of the end. I think we really are at the end, barring a another. Uh, 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 variant popping up. This week, just just this morning, the CDC released a, a new risk map for the country, and 93% of the country are either in a low or medium risk county. And the recommendation there is that if you're in one of those counties, that the general public does not need a, ma- a mask at all. It's only those that are in the, the medium risk, which is about, about uh, 40% of the country, People in a medium risk county, they if they have risk factors or they are taken care of or frequently around somebody with risk factors, then they do recommend that those people wear a mask. But otherwise, you know, we're kind of back. We're we're getting pretty close to normal activities in most of the country. Uh, I would agree with Bill's caution. Um, actually, we have a superb modeler. Uh, Ira Longini at the Emerging Pathogens Institute at the University of Florida. And he predicts that this will not become endemic for approximately one year. What that means is there could be new surges. And the reason he says this, and and I agree with his uh, hypothesis, the rest of the world has not controlled the virus at all. And there are many places where very few people are vaccinated, where herd immunity is very low, and therefore there's a high risk of new variants uh, that can spread throughout the world very, very quickly. So I think for right now, we can breathe, uh, take a deep breath. Uh, If we're in a medium or low area, we don't have to worry about masks, but be ready to start the mask again because a new surge could occur at any time. So we have to be mentally flexible and willing to change back if a new surge were to arrive. I think one of the big concerns that that people around the world have is still is China. I mean, look at what is happening right now in Hong Kong, where Hong Kong was was trying to apply the same zero COVID uh, policy that had been basically applied 
in uh, mainland China. And you know, over the past week, uh, the rate has continued to go up. Um, yesterday, the rate was 810 cases per 100,000 per day in Hong Kong, a very modern, highly vaccinated um, a community that was putting all the right mitigation tools into place. And yet they got they've been hammered uh, with Omicron over the past couple of weeks. I think that the the China China mainland, which is only vaccinated, they say they're very heavily vaccinated, but almost all with Sinovac and Sinopharm, which have demonstrated to not be that effective against Omicron. They are very, very scared that this is going to jump across the um, the straits there at Hong Kong into Guangzhou, one of the most um, populous provinces of a hugely populated country. And that could be very, very difficult for, for China, which would then set the stage for um, new variants possibly going around the world. Yeah, the other big issue is the, the problem is the vaccine immunity does wane. And particularly when it comes to the Omicron, which are none of our vaccines were directed directly against that particular variant, which has a large number of mutations in the amino terminal end of the spike protein where all the antibodies are directed. And therefore, uh, if there's any waning of immunity, Omicron is uh, pretty effective at, at breaking through. And so this is a major, major concern and a significant percentage of our population is not boosted. So I think we're out of the woods temporarily, but I think we should be very cautious. Fred, correct me if you disagree with this, but but I think that the waning immunity that we're seeing is primarily on the uh, antibody immunity. So that's going to that means that people can get infected, but if they have either had the booster, so they are up to date in the current CDC terminology, or they've had two shots, uh, they're fully vaccinated, plus they have had COVID, ideally Omicron, um, then they likely have fairly robust cellular immunity. But cellular immunity is not going to protect you from getting infected. It's going to protect you from uh, fairly well protect you from getting seriously ill or, I, or protect you from dying. But that would mean that we'd still have plenty of circulating virus in the community from people who are getting an early infection and then the cellular immunity comes in and, and keeps it from getting out of control. I, I agree. Cellular immunity does last much, much longer. Uh, the group that I think is having the most problem we've seen in our hospital is those over 60. Uh, your cell media immunity does uh, wane as you get older. It's not as robust. And we've seen a number of patients with a booster who have become very sick and several of them died. So that's why, you know, we shouldn't throw away the masks totally. Um, the, uh, the people under age 60 are not going to die of this in all likelihood. But those over 60 where, who have not as robust cell-mediated cell immunity uh, are at risk. So one of the big questions that I keep getting is, are we going to need another booster? And my general response is, for those over 60 to 65, I think that we probably will need another booster come fall. 
um, when we just uh, when respiratory diseases increase again, hopefully by then we would have a booster that is that is tailored to the Omicron, which is technically a new vaccine, not just a booster. Um, but uh, there, we still don't have any decision on that. The drug companies are certainly saying we need a booster. So far, the advisory committee on immunization practices um, has has declined to to make a recommendation. I agree with you, Bill. I think another booster will be in order later this year. And you've anticipated the uh, uh, the right question. And so, how should uh, for people who are either have physical, medical challenges or sixty or over, uh, be thinking about taking a fourth uh, vaccination? Do they? wait for six months? Do they wait until the fall bill? And then when the season comes upon us, um, what should people be thinking about? Well, as, as you know, I'm not a virologist or immunologist, but I do think that that if you're, if you're in a green, low-risk county um, and, and staying in, in green areas, I think you're probably going to be okay to forego getting a booster because we know that the boosters have a uh, they have a life expectancy so i i think you're probably okay um on a risk basis for going a booster until we start getting into fall and then you may very well want to think about getting a booster at that point um, to give you that extra protection as we get into cold and flu or what is we're now going to know is cold flu and covid season um in come fall uh Especially if you're in in a higher risk, a yellow county, um, you might want to be thinking about that. But I would not do it soon because I, th- I think you use up your immunity um, that you get from the from the boost. Uh, but do it in the fall. But that's just I, I again I don't know that I'm really the most qualified person to say that. But you know, we're all learning about COVID. I don't know if there's anybody out there who is is a hundred percent qualified to make a pronouncement on this one. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think we're all uh, trying to use the sciences, uh, apply the sciences as best we can, but it really isn't there yet. We don't fully understand uh, the cell- duration of cell-mated immunity, what the uh, uh, antibody levels really mean. Uh, so, so I think it's, uh, it's the better. The thing about having a booster in the fall, and I, I agree with you right now, it doesn't make sense to get a booster when every, the activity is going way, way down. Because uh, based on the other uh, shots, your immunity is highest about two weeks after you receive that shot and then slowly progresses, uh, deteriorates over about two to three months. So uh, you'd like to get the booster uh, near the time uh, when the activity is increasing again. And that would give you the maximum protection at the time you need it. But as we're talking about vaccines, one of the other big issues over the past couple of weeks, um, you, people may have noticed that we have not gotten approval for a vaccine for young kids. Um, a month ago, we were saying that we thought right around the the end of February, we would probably have approval for vaccine for the six month through four-year-olds up to five-year-olds. Um, what has happened is that the the vaccine, the two-shot series, using it just as it's been used for the older children, the 5 to 11-year group, 
did not show any significant efficacy. I mean, there, there's always a risk of shots. So it had some, albeit very small risk, but very, very little efficacy. So the uh, drug companies were continuing with their, primarily Pfizer, continuing with the studies then of a three-shot series. The thought was that CDC was going to approve a two-shot series, um, recognizing that they were going to have to add the third shot. But there's no precedent for doing that. There's no precedent for approving a uh, vaccine series on the basis that we think will be efficacious when we add another shot. So what they've asked to do is to wait until the the tests, the 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 phase three studies are completed on these this new uh, three shot regimen um, and then base approval on that. And with that being the case, that means that we're not going to see vaccines for the littlest kids probably until they think the decision process will begin in April. Um, but that means that in all likelihood, given the rates being down over the summer, that we would probably, if at all, we will not be immunizing six-month through um, five-year-olds until come, come school time in the fall. Um, again, not to use up the immunity during the during the uh, during the summertime, but in addition to that, the other big pediatric concern with the older kids primarily has been with uh, myocarditis. And what has been found is that in all it appears, and the, the studies are not completely clear on it yet, uh, that if you spread out the doses from three or four weeks out to eight weeks that the rate of myocarditis is significantly decreased. Uh, again, the CDC made an unusual uh, recommendation to do that despite the, not having a formal vote on it because the data is not completely in, but they had enough enough data that they had seen that they, they sent out a recommendation to providers to delay the second shot in children until eight weeks. Um, are they, as they said, make it a clinical consideration to, to, to delay. They didn't make a formal recommendation, but they said consider and all but said recommending. Well, that's a very nice summary of what's going on. The problem with the 11 to 5 age group was that the concentration of the vaccine, the protein concentration or the RNA concentration was one third of those 12 and up. And it turns out that concentration of the RNA and therefore the amount of protein produced is very important as to the degree of protection. And this was shown in rhesus monkeys earlier on. And Moderna, that's one of the reasons Moderna chose a higher dose of mRNA than Pfizer did in their original uh, vaccine. And that's why the duration of protection and the level of protection was high, is somewhat higher in the Moderna than the Pfizer. I think what's happened with the 511, they got the dose too low. So I'm not sure that that third dose is going to be that helpful. What they're going to need to do is possibly double the concentration that we use and make it two-thirds rather than one-third of that for those over age 12 and older. Without getting into the politics of this, the last couple of weeks have revealed continuing debate about obviously the efficacy of mask wearing, cloth masks, um, etc. And um, perhaps the importance in this makes it a little bit tougher, but why the CDC's color code may make it easier. 
but I, I'm hearing both of you say that it is important um, to monitor what's going on in your community, uh, where you work, where you go to school, um, where uh, perhaps you're traveling to or from. Am I hearing that correct? So it's not a one-size-fits-all or one perspective fits all, but it's important to stay sort of aware of the data of your surroundings. And that's exactly why I like this new system that CDC has. It's it's logically based. It is based on data that, that they, they get regularly and is reasonably trustworthy data. Um, the 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 case counts are still very suspect anymore because so many people are not reporting but they're that's not the most important part of coming up with the scale and then it's a simple scale you know yeah red yellow or green and the you can look it up easily on the website most counties are posting it on their county websites as to what they are so it, it makes it easy for people to figure out where they are and what the recommendations for them in the place they are um, are the current what what the current recommendations are? Yeah, I agree. Uh, what they've done is uh, case counts is only a small part of it. It's hospitalizations and deaths due to the virus that are are heavily weighted. And those there's no controversy about those two values. There is a lot of problems now with home testing uh, for the case count. Uh, so that shouldn't be a major as major a part as it previously was. And so I agree with them. The measures they're using and the simplicity of the system they're using should make it less ambiguous and easy for everyone to interpret. Well, and even for outside the United States, a lot of the uh, organizations that I work with are multinational organizations that have offices internationally. And what I've been working with them on is you can take the CDC criteria and apply it wherever you want. Generally speaking, um, except for their, they do use a criteria of percent of hospital beds utilized for COVID patients. That's a stand in for um, the impact of COVID on the community. Uh, so that one's a little bit harder to get, but you can get a very good subjective red, yellow, red, yellow, or green level idea of impact just by following local media. Do you have examples of social disruption or not? And if you don't, you're green. If you have a lot, you're red. And if it's, you know, people are a little bit worried, but it's not too disruptive, well, then that's yellow. And so you can come up with, you know, on an wherever you have operations, you can come up on it with a CDC equivalent scale yourself fairly easily. So that's why I find this system to be very, very, very good, very informative, and very easy to use. As cities and towns and states uh, hopefully are able to get back uh, to normal operations, but certainly businesses are opening up. And, and one question that we repeatedly get is what should we require of our employees in terms of vaccination, in terms of a booster, what should we be maintaining inside our company's offices, inside the factories, etc. So maybe you guys could um, give us a, a good roadmap here for uh, what they should be requiring, what they should be doing. And I'm going to assume that, once again, it's not one size fits all, but it will be the company's responsibility to monitor the, I'll call it the threat environment in which uh, they're operating. 
David, I think it's important to keep in mind the Swiss cheese approach that we've been talking about since since last fall. The layers that, of layers of Swiss cheese, Bill. Correct. Exactly, okay. exactly. The layers of Swiss cheese, and that you know you, you have holes in various various layers, but you've got multiple layers. So if you do have a breakthrough on one layer, you're probably going to pick it up in another. So if we take that approach now that we have this this new uh, red, yellow, green that was primarily so far focused on masks, we'll use that that scale in deciding to take off mask requirements, um, it, but you leave the other layers in place, at least for now. So take off your mask requirements, assuming you're in a green or yellow location, but leave in place recommendations for, for vaccination. Again, I didn't, I didn't say requirements. Um, many firms do have requirements for vaccination. Um, I th- and I think if you have that in place, I wouldn't pull that off right away. I would leave that there. Um, if you have good ventilation in place, don't, don't pull the ventilation out. Leave, the good ven- leave that good ventilation in place. And in fact, that probably is going to be permanent because that's going to help with other respiratory diseases as we go further. Um, if you have, if you have a decreased head count in order to decrease density of people in your workplace, well, don't pull that off at the same time and just say, okay, everybody at the same time, take off your masks, don't worry about getting immunized, and come back to work. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. Take off the masks first, then start increasing your head count. Then maybe say, okay, we're not going to be as strict on the, the vaccination. I know Fred's going to disagree with me on that. But I'm just saying don't be as strict. I still encourage vaccination. But I'm, I'm saying maybe you don't kick people out of the workplace if they're not vaccinated. And with each of these layers, as you peel off the layer, make sure you're continuing to monitor what your um, the incidence of of cases is in your area and if you're a large enough company in your in your company um, and don't go back further if you start to see cases popping up uh, bill that's really a very rational and logical approach and i agree with it uh, i would like to see everybody vaccinated but as the activity goes down uh, the need for vaccination is somewhat less pressing um, but the other element you didn't mention but i know you know about is testing and with the antigen test, you can, if things look start to act up, you can uh, actually screen individuals with uh, uh, the 15-minute antigen test um, if things are starting to become more active. And if this turns out to be a, a significant number of positives, then you better go back to mass pretty quickly. The other thing that, that you mentioned and I think is really important is ventilation. Uh, that is probably one of the most important and one that the individuals that are in the workplace don't notice, but can have a tremendous impact. If you look at, I've seen some simulations of using smoke to see what happens in a low ventilation room versus a higher ventilation room, in a tall ceiling room versus a low ceiling room. And if you don't have ventilation and it's low ceiling, that smoke and the aerosol will just hover around about shoulder height and increase the risk of infection greatly. If you can keep the doors open, uh, get a ventilation, uh, people are now aiming for, I want to change every 15 seconds, uh, you see that cloud disappear very rapidly. And if you have a very tall ceiling, the aerosol goes up to the top of the ceiling and you do not get as high a risk of infection. In fact, the only times that I've been in a restaurant 
is a restaurant that is very, very high ceilings and is very wide open. And I felt a little bit safer there uh, than in a closed space, a small closed space. Sorry, I don't want to suggest that uh, this podcast uh, were being trolled, but uh, while both of you were speaking, received an alert, New York City has lifted its uh, mask mandate for schools, um, that proof of vaccine for restaurants, and it goes on. And uh, if I were going to try to square the circle, obviously um, you have a, a mayor who is trying to bring back the city, its economy, etc. Uh, the numbers look good. But what I'm also hearing from both of you is, you know, uh, exercise appropriate caution. Obviously, if, if you have pre-existing medical conditions, perhaps people 60 and over have to be more cautious than the average uh, person and that it is important to remain vigilant. And I just want to make sure that I am, um, how should I say, I'm reconciling the news and, and the advice in the right way. David, you, you are exactly. And I think the other thing, that's what you just said is the way individuals should look at it. The way organizations, I think, should be looking at, the, at this is to use criteria to peel off these layers. And the, the red, yellow, green is an excellent way to do that. And that way, if things go the other direction, like this fall, if that it was to go the wrong way, well, you just use the exact same criteria and you just say, oh, look, we're back in yellow. We're going to you know, reinstitute whatever you, you know, however you want to do it, but have that set up in advance. So you're not trying to make a decision in the heat of the moment. You sit, you just follow, follow the data. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I, I, it would be really nice. I would recommend companies create a visual control, uh, just a little thermometer or something where it shows uh, green, yellow, uh, orange, or red, uh, and have that in the office. And therefore, there will be no question. And they update it every seven days. So you would uh, be very anxious about what happens each seven days. And that will really decide what uh, precautions you need to take. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, a traffic, uh, a, a traffic map. Um, you know, when there's heavy traffic, you may not want to drive right then. And similarly, if it's a, a more disease activity, you're going to want to be more cautious, wear a mask. Maybe, maybe there should be a little more virtual work during that time. And I think it's going to be a dance and we're just going to have to stay flexible and open to change uh, because the virus is not completely predictable. I love the metaphor, Fred, and I love the common sense that I continue to hear from both of you in terms of how to think about this and um, and as my grandparents used to say, if common sense were so common, it wouldn't be so valuable. Thank you for providing some terrific insights uh, based upon the data, based upon the science, and uh, recognizing that there are different priorities in our society. But uh, I think you've given everyone uh, at this current stage sort of the methods and means to, to be prudent about their own health protecting the people in their companies, and, and most importantly, to um, stay very agile and stay aware. So thank you both. Great. Thank, thank you, you, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. 
Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution. Visit us at RAINnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.